epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire from the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times a light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light On today's Light on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess De Lin. Today, Ma Lin narrates the first part of the 15th chapter titled The Mid-Autumn Festival. Two celebrations were going on in the Imperial Palace. One was the traditional Chinese Mid-Autumn Festival, also known as the Moon Festival, and the other was an anniversary marking the start of the Manchu Dynasty. Well woven into the detailed descriptions of the protocols, etiquette, and activities of the two celebrations are narrations of comparatively trivial but interesting matters of court. On the fifteenth day of the eighth moon came the celebration of the Mid-Autumn Festival, sometimes called the Moon Festival. This name is derived from the belief which the Chinese hold that the moon is not permanently round when full, but that on this particular day it is a perfect circle. The ceremony which is gone through is conducted entirely by the court ladies and consists of worshipping the moon as soon as it appears in the sky. In other respects, the celebrations are exactly the same as in the Dragon Boat Festival. Presents were exchanged between Her Majesty and the court officials. The festival concluded with a theatrical performance, which describes a scene in the moon. The belief is that a beautiful maiden lives in the moon, her only companion being a white rabbit, called a jade rabbit. According to the play, this rabbit escapes from the moon to the earth and becomes a young and beautiful girl. A golden rooster, which lives in the sun, becoming aware of the rabbit's descent to the earth, himself descends from the sun and changes into a handsome prince. Of course, they very naturally meet and immediately fall in love. Now, on the earth lived another rabbit, a red one, who, on finding out what was going on, changed himself into a prince also, and set about making love to the beautiful maiden with the object of cutting out the rooster. However, he was seriously handicapped, inasmuch as he was unable to change the color of his face, which remained red. Therefore, his love-making met with no success, and the rooster prince had it all his own way. At this point, the beautiful maiden in the moon, on discovering her loss, sent the soldiers of heaven to recapture her rabbit, with the result that she was taken back to the moon and the rooster, being left alone, had no alternative but to reluctantly returned to his home in the sun. During this performance, the head eunuch brought a young man into the courtyard who kowtowed to Her Majesty. 
This was such an unusual occurrence that everybody noticed it. I could see that he was a stranger and did not belong to the court, and I wondered who he could be. At the other end of the veranda, I saw two or three of the court ladies whispering together and smiling. They finally came over to me and asked if I knew who he was. I told them that he was a stranger to me, and they ought to know better than I did as they had been at the court much longer. Anyhow, I gave it as my opinion that he was decidedly ugly. That same evening, Her Majesty asked me whether I had noticed this young man and told me that he was the son of a very high Manchu official, that his father was dead, and that he had succeeded to the title and to a large amount of money. I was surprised. That Her Majesty should give such a lengthy explanation about this young man, but I told her that I did not think him very handsome. Her Majesty was talking in a very serious manner, but I did not think anything of the occurrence at the time. But a few days later, while I was posing for the portrait, I heard Her Majesty whispering to my mother at the other end of the room. I saw that Her Majesty was holding a photograph in her hands, which she showed to my mother, at the same time asking whether my mother considered him good looking. My mother answered, Not very. On Her Majesty's replying that beauty was not everything, I began to suspect that there was something going on which directly concerned me. I began to think of some excuse in order to get out of what I could plainly see was a proposed marriage between myself and this gentleman. I knew that if Her Majesty had made up her mind that I was to marry him, I could not help myself, but at the same time, I made up my own mind that rather than marry anyone whom I did not like, especially one I had never seen before, I would leave the court altogether. When Her Majesty retired for her usual afternoon rest, she told me she wanted to see me for a moment. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn/slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. After beating about the bush for some time, she asked me whether I would like to stay with her always or whether I would like to go away again to some foreign country. I at once answered that I was quite satisfied to stay with her as long as she cared to have me, but that when she was tired of me, she could then send me away. Her Majesty informed me that it had been her intention to marry me to this young gentleman and asked my opinion. I told her that I did not want to get married at all, especially seeing that my father was sick at this time and leaving home to go to live apart from my family would break his heart and perhaps be the cause of his premature death. Her Majesty said, 
that was no excuse, as I should not have to go out of China, but would be able to see my father and family any time I wished. I told Her Majesty that I would much rather stay with her altogether, and that I did not want to marry anybody. Her Majesty then said, "I won't listen to any excuse. I have already explained everything to your mother, but、uh, much to my surprise, she said it would be better to mention it to you first, on account of your having been brought up differently from the rest of the court ladies." Had it not been for this fact, I would simply have arranged everything with your mother, and the matter would have been settled so far as you were concerned. I could not say anything in answer to this, so commenced to cry. I told Her Majesty that I was not like the rest of the court ladies, who pretended they did not want to marry, when all the time they were simply looking forward to getting married, if only for the change from the monotony of court life. I promised that I would stay with her forever, and that I had no desire to go away from China again. I explained that I should not have gone away at all. Had it not been that my father was transferred to Paris, Her Majesty said, "Oh, well, I'm very glad that you did go away, as you are more useful to me than you would have been had you stayed in China all your life." After a lot more discussion, Her Majesty said, "Well, if you don't like the young men I have chosen, there are plenty of others." Which remark did not help me very much, as I could see that she meant to marry me off anyway. However, I had managed to get out of it this time, and thought I would be able to arrange matters satisfactorily should the question come up again. Nothing further was said about the matter until nearly a month later, when I heard that a marriage had been arranged between this gentleman and the daughter of one of the princes. So everything ended very satisfactorily from my point of view. The twenty-sixth day of the eighth moon was the occasion of another celebration. At the time the Manchu dynasty began, Emperor Shunzhi, who had fought very hard to gain the throne, found himself on the twenty-sixth day of the eighth moon. Absolutely out of provisions of every kind, and it was necessary for him and his army to live on the leaves of trees, which was the only form of food obtainable at the time. Thus, the anniversary of this day, even up to the present time, is always celebrated by the Manchu people, who deny themselves all luxuries, especially at the court. We did not eat any meat on that day, but only rice wrapped in lettuce leaves. Chopsticks were also discarded, and the food was conveyed to the mouth by the hands alone. Even the Empress Dowager was no exception to this rule. This is done in order to remind the present generation of the privation suffered by their ancestors who established the Manchu dynasty. Towards the close of the eighth moon, Her Majesty's good plants, which had been planted early in the spring, were ripening, and each day she would take us all to see 
what progress they were making, she would pick out those which she considered to be the most perfect in form, i.e., those with the smallest waist, and tie ribbons around them so as not to lose sight of them. She pointed to one of these plants one day and said to me, "This reminds me of yourself when dressed in foreign clothes. Surely you feel more comfortable in the clothes you are now wearing." When these gourds were quite ripe, they were cut down, and Her Majesty would scrape the outer skin with a bamboo knife. Afterwards, wiping the fruit with a wet cloth, they were then allowed to dry, and after a few days, they would assume a brownish color when they were ready for hanging as ornaments in the summer palace. In one room alone, there were over ten thousand of these gourds of different shapes. It was the duty of the court ladies to periodically wipe these gourds with a cloth, in order to give them a shiny appearance, and also to scrape any new ones which were pulled and prepare them for the palace. None of us cared very much about this work, excepting Her Majesty. One day, whilst attending to these gourds, I happened to knock the top off one of the old ones, which was Her Majesty's particular favorite. I dared not go and tell Her Majesty what had happened, and one of the court ladies suggested throwing the thing away altogether and saying nothing about it, as Her Majesty would not be likely to find it out, having so many of them. However, I finally decided to go and tell Her Majesty about it, and take a punishment if necessary. For a wonder, Her Majesty did not make much bother about it. She said, "Well, it was quite an old one in any case, and、um, the top was ready to drop off at any time. It so happens that you were the one to wipe it, and of course, it came off. It can't be helped." I told Her Majesty that I was very much ashamed at being so careless, especially as I knew it was one of her favorites, and there the matter ended. All the rest of the court ladies were in the waiting room and were anxious to know how I would get out of it. And when I told them, they said that had it been any of them, there would have been a fine row. They laughed and said. It must be nice to be a favorite, which made me feel very uncomfortable. I told the young empress exactly what had happened, and she said it was quite right to tell Her Majesty the truth, and told me to be very careful as there was much jealousy going on. At the beginning of the ninth moon, the chrysanthemums commenced to bud, and it was the duty of the ladies of the court to go and trim them each day by cutting away all the buds except one on each stalk. This trimming gives the flower a better chance of developing, a much larger blossom being the result. Even Her Majesty would help with this work. She was very particular about these plants, and would not allow any of us to meddle with them if our hands were not perfectly cool, as to touch them with hot hands would cause the leaves to shrivel up. These flowers are generally in full bloom about the end of the ninth moon or beginning of the tenth moon. 
Her Majesty had a wonderful gift of being able to tell what kind of flower would bloom from each separate plant, even before the buds appeared. She would say, This is going to be a red flower. And we would place a bamboo stick in the flower pot with the name written on it. Then another, Her Majesty would declare to be a white one, and we would place a similar bamboo stick in the flower pot with the description and so on. Her Majesty said, This is your first year at the palace, and no doubt you are surprised at what you have just seen and heard me say, but I have never yet made a mistake, for you will see when the flowers commence to bloom. It was a fact, as everything turned out exactly as she had predicted. None of us ever knew how she was able to distinguish one from the other, but she was always right. I did once ask her to explain how she was able to tell, but she answered that it was a secret. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. All this time, the portrait was proceeding very slowly, and one day Her Majesty asked me how long I thought it would be before it was finished, and what the custom in Europe was as regards remuneration for such a portrait. I replied that it was customary to pay very handsomely, but she would not hear of such a suggestion, saying that in China it was not the custom and that it would be regarded as an insult to offer money for such a service. She suggested decorating Miss Carl as a reward for her services, which she considered would be appreciated far more than a money present. There was nothing for me to say at this time, but I was determined to mention the matter again when a favorable opportunity occurred. During the ninth moon, a Russian circus visited Peking, and of course everybody talked of little else. Her Majesty, hearing so much talk about this circus, asked what it was like, and after we had explained to her, she became very interested and said that she would like to see it. My mother thought it would be a good idea to have the circus brought up to the summer palace where they could perform, so she asked Her Majesty whether this might be done. Her Majesty was delighted with the idea, and arrangements were accordingly made for the performance. While everything was being fixed, the people belonging to the circus and the animals were quartered near our own house, and we had to feed them at our own expense. However, we wanted to show Her Majesty what a circus was like, so the expense did not matter. It took them two days to erect the tent and make all necessary preparations, and during this time Her Majesty received the reports as to what was being done and the progress they were making. The day before the performance, we noticed that Her Majesty, on coming from her audience, 
looked very angry. In an hour inquiring what was the matter, she informed my mother and myself that some censors had raised objections against having the circus in the palace grounds, as there had never been anything of this kind allowed before, and they had begged Her Majesty to give up the idea. Her Majesty was very angry and said, You see how much power I have here. I cannot even have a circus without somebody raising objections. I think we had better pay them something and let them go away. And that was from the 15th chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Sterling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on A Light on Literature for the second part of the chapter.
ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people.